Reading from Ruth 2, 1 through 13. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the fields after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go out to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Good morning. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Just a really great story. And God, may we look at this as more than just a story, but something that would affect our lives, that would bring about transformation in how we think and how we live. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's remember that we're reading about historical people and places. Naomi and Ruth traveled from Moab to Bethlehem as widows, and and we know that they're not made-up people because this is the lineage of King David and of Jesus Christ. So we know that these are non-fictional people. Bethlehem is a a real place, and, and if you were to go there today, you'll find much of the same landscape that was back then. Not too much has changed in terms of kind of the development, things like that, but there are some city centers and things like that. But if you look into like the shepherd's fields, much of that has not been changed. Ruth was uh, Naomi's daughter-in-law who followed Naomi to Bethlehem, choosing to trust in Naomi's God, knowing that her life was going to be extremely challenging moving forward. In this text, let's start by pointing out a key word, and that key word is favor. Okay, and in our section of scripture this morning, favor is found in verses 2, 10, and 13. And we're going to take a look at this progression. So starting in verse 2, it says, let me go find favor. And then to verse 10, why have I found favor? And then finally to verse 13, I have found favor. Now before we start with the first favor in verse 2, let's go to verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. We're introduced to Boaz, a relative of the deceased husband, Elimelech. 
And the family was the center of this social structure in Boaz's time, much like today, much in like much other cultures. The familial relationships were extremely important, and there were obligations amongst family members to help and to protect and to provide support to those in need of the family. So here was Naomi, a widow who lost her two sons, who was in need of assistance, in need of protection, in need of care for her well-being from her relative or relatives. And so enter Boaz. Dun-dun-dun. Boaz. Now, Boaz is described as a worthy man. And in Hebrew, the words describing Boaz are used to describe a strong, brave, mighty man. They also describe wealth, valor, integrity, heroism, and it's also a word used to describe a powerful military force. So there are a lot of definitions in the couple of Hebrew words used in the text. And what the writer is getting across is that Boaz is... Dreamy. <sighs> He's like um, Mr. Darcy. You know, you know what I'm saying? And for those of you guys who don't know who Mr. Darcy is, are you kidding? I mean, you're missing out. I mean, that dude is a straight up G, man. You know, like... He's OG. You, you, if you want to know how to communicate with women and do, and do what women like, you know, the, you gotta, you gotta do that. You gotta do that. Okay. So Boaz was the original Mr. Darcy, a man of financial means, a man of social means, ethical means, influential standing. This was this guy. And so verse two. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, "Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find." Favor. So here we are in the first favor. Ruth essentially said to Naomi, let me go to the field to look for a favorable situation, a favorable opportunity. Now Ruth knew the law because, if anything, Naomi would have told her about how they were going to eat who were poor. But there's this provision in the law. And Naomi would have shared Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 through 10. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. She would also share Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 19. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. So Naomi and Ruth had these ways to survive because of these laws. God's heart is for the poor, the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, and He did not want those who had plenty to take everything and leave nothing for those in need. Now you notice what Ruth said. Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain. You notice the effort on her part. It wasn't just a handout, which I think could be a demeaning thing and a crippling thing. God is not just about providing our needs. He desires to build up our dignity, to build up our respect, not with just a simple handout, but an involvement and a participation in community. Right? So you look at how proactive Ruth was about going out to the field and gleaning. She wasn't idle. She wasn't inactive, thinking that you know this grain is just going to show up on my plate. 
Ruth took ownership of her situation and she put forth effort to make it different. But she wasn't going to be able to do this alone. It had to be done in community. She had to go to someone else's field where there were other people around her. And if she was going to survive, she would have to involve community. Also, look at the interaction between her and Naomi in verse 2. It's really respectful and it's really kind. You might wonder, how so? Well, Naomi was much older. And she was in this really unfavorable position as a widow. And rather than having Naomi endure the physical difficulty of gleaning, going out there and under the hot sun and and sweating, and and people talking about her misfortune of losing her husband and sons and everything, hey, hey, that's that's Naomi, that that lady that left and went to Moab and and her sons died and, and, and all the little chatter going on behind her. Ruth just took it on. I'm going to take that. And and how Ruth presented the idea was also empowering to Naomi as well. She said, let me go. She didn't say, I'm going. You're too old. we we got to eat. Somebody has to feed us. So hey, get, get, move. She said, let me go. And how she said it was really kind, was really respectful. And this is something that happens a lot of the time when people are coming in to talk about just communication skills it's not what you're saying, it's how you're saying it, right? A, a lot of the couples that come in and talk about like, oh, our difficulty, and it, it's not what you say, it's how you're saying it. And Ruth empowered Naomi by opening up this space to speak into her life. Let me go. And she gave Naomi a dignified way to excuse herself from going out into the field to deal with this physical hardship, to deal with this emotional ridicule. And Ruth was keeping to her word. Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. From where you will go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me. And more also, if anything but death parts me from you. She meant what she said. And so such respect, such honor for her mother-in-law seeking counsel from her. Now, how are our relationships with our parents? And if you have in-laws, how are your relationships with your in-laws? How much respect and honor and service do you give them? And how are you seeking counsel? And so many people would save themselves a lot of problems if they would just listen to the counsel of godly people. If they would seek that counsel. A lot of marriages and relationships wouldn't be as problematic if people listened to the counsel from the people who love God and from the people who love them. Now back to Ruth collecting grain. This wasn't an easy thing. Right? This was a laborious, took a lot of time. You're out in the hot sun. But she has the right attitude to put forth this working effort and didn't have a sense of entitlement that she deserved or earned this provision. Or she was going to go out, put forth the effort, and hope that she would encounter favor. Now the word favor is synonymous to the word grace. Ruth understood grace. And it affected her positive approach to this task that was reserved 
for the poor, the outcasts. And we don't see a bad attitude. We don't see resentment. We don't see bitterness from her. No sense of entitlement of her rights, that she deserved better, that she deserved a better life. Just an understanding of grace. That whatever good she'd receive would be unmerited favor. It would be undeserved mercy. Now how different would our life be if we saw things out of the eyes of grace rather than the eyes of entitlement? Wouldn't it change our perspective? Wouldn't it change how we live? Because we're so preoccupied with our rights. It's my right to do this or it's my right to do that. And we fail to see the blessings that we already have. Ruth could have easily thrown herself a little pity party right here, right? I was married. I I was with my people. I was comfortable. Why do I deserve this? I deserve better. But she doesn't do that. She was not about to let anything strip her of what she did have. What she did have were choices. Just like all of us. That is something that is not stripped from us. We have choices. So do we allow in the self-pity because life isn't going as we thought it should? Or do we put effort into choosing what we can do to go out to our field of opportunity, to glean, and to look for favor, to look for grace? Because it's out there. It's within your choices. And your opportunity to make choices, they are out there. So what choices will you make? Then Naomi said to her, Go, my daughter. Now, the Hebrew word for daughter in verse 2 is used in a polite address. So Naomi didn't say it to Ruth to just get it out of her hair or just like, go, get out of here. This was a kind, endearing response, and Naomi wasn't too proud to let Ruth help her. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. Ruth decided to take action, to take control of what she could take control of, and sometimes... People dealing with difficult circumstances, dealing with difficult situations, struggle with um, decision constipation, right? It's just stuck, right? It's just... And, and sometimes waiting for things to happen to them rather than going out to affect change in their life. So what proactive, controllable steps, however small they may be, can be taken for you to initiate change in your life, rather than waiting for something to happen that may never happen. See, Ruth didn't wait for change to happen. She chose to initiate change with what she could do. She could go out and get food for her and Naomi. And God gave her what she needed, and she used what God gave her, hoping she would find favor. Now that's the thing with favor. Favor is really hard to encounter when you're idle, right? Your opportunities are greater when you go out to find favor. Now, how many people use excuses not to do anything? You're sitting idle when God wants us to exercise our faith by simply living our life. That job, that relationship, is not going to have the same opportunities to show up if you're sitting idle. Now, if Ruth sat idle, Naomi and Ruth would starve. Right? So the Christian faith is simple. It is by no means easy. But it's really simple. It's common sense. It's practical. And it leads to action. God's will isn't given to us for us to do nothing. 
Right? We are to trust Him with what He has given us and to use what He has given us. And we see that with Ruth. She did what she could do with what God had given her. And the rest of it, well, you know, God just didn't unfold it yet. And sometimes we don't see all of God's will for us because we haven't done our part. Right? Like the guy with the withered hand had to kind of go and simultaneously it was healed. Peter had to step out of the boat and simultaneously the water was able for him to walk. We kind of have to do our part. Now what's our part? Communicating with God is one thing. Praying. Seeking wise counsel is another thing. Thinking and discerning what God's will is. Acting upon that communication and discerning our choices. Carefully observing what's happening as we take action. All of these things are our part. And when we do our part, favor seems to happen more consistently. Favor seems to happen more regularly, doesn't it? When you're doing something. Verse 3, So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the clan of Elimelech. Did you catch that? She happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Her faithful action ushered in this favor. Happened. Now she didn't know about Boaz and his field, right? There was no truck that says like Boaz Barley or anything like that, right? There's nothing like that. She found favor because she went out in faith that she'd find favor. And she found it. She happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. God didn't give her a map of Boaz field and go find Boaz field. It's right here. She went out looking for favor and God blessed her for her obedient faithfulness. She simply went about living her life. Now how many of us complicate the will of God? Oh Lord, what's your will? And all this. How about just simply living your life with Jesus and not sitting idle? Not sitting idle, thinking that things are going to change when they're probably not. And how much more opportunity would we have for God's favor to present itself if we just moved? If we just did something? And how about we stop acting foolish, expecting God to do miracles that aren't His will? Because maybe His will isn't for you to get that job. Maybe His will is simply for you to look for a job. Just the part before that. Just that, that's the part. That's His will. Right? Not that one. Just this one. We have real choices to make. Right? We have real responsibilities to own up to. And we have real consequences to deal with because of our lack of action or because of our action. We have opportunities to exercise our ethics, our beliefs, our morality, our, our values in these finite bodies of ours. And God gave us the ability to choose how we think, how we take action. And here Ruth is fully living that out. She took ownership of what she had control of. And it's not to say that God is not in control. It's to say that God is indeed in control. And He invites us to participate in that. We have been given free will and we have been given choice to participate in life with God and with one another. So if you're sitting idle thinking that a miracle is going to happen, probably not. Probably not. And so it's time to take action. It's time to jump into life with God and think about what you can do. What can you do? What are the next steps that you can take? How about prayer? 
You can do that one. You can do that one. How about taking a look at the Bible for the next steps? And there are a ton of scriptures. Let me just share with you one. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Aspire to live quietly and to mind your own business. It says, mind your own affairs. For me, mind your own business. And to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. See, we're not to sit idle. We're not to enable people who sit idle. We're to help them. Live quietly. Mind your own affairs. Mind your own business. But work with your hands, so that we may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Just like Ruth. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Now Boaz was a man of God. Boaz walked with God as evidenced by his greeting to his workers and their response to him. His faith in God was not separated from his work and he addressed his workers with, The Lord be with you. May the Lord's presence be with you guys more than what's with you now to just satisfy your souls. May He just be with you guys. And the reapers answered, The Lord bless you. And it seems that Boaz had this really good working environment with his workers. You know, they're just like blessing each other. Now we need to keep in mind that these greetings weren't just empty, shallow gestures because maybe some of you are thinking, Ah, that's just people saying hello. That's just how they're doing it. Because, you know, Christians seem to do that sometimes, right? Especially, like, if I go to, like, a men's conference, I always hear, oh, God bless you, brother. God bless you. And we're like, man, you don't know me. Like, God bless you, brother. Like, how about hello? And so I wonder about these things, right? Because I'm at the counter and I'm registering, and then the guy is like, oh, God bless you, brother. God bless you, brother. And I'm like, she was a woman. The woman doing the registration. God bless you, brother. I'm like, you're just saying it. It's just blah, blah, blah. But at this time in culture, it's not so. Right? When you said Lord or when you said Jehovah in your speech, that's not just something that you just said. This was sacred. They really meant this. Why? Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So to say Lord, to say Jehovah, back in this time, that wasn't casual. That wasn't taken lightly. Taking the Lord's name in vain was a serious offense, unlike our culture, and sadly enough, it's not even reverent to some Christians. We just kind of throw stuff out there. The Lord's name was to be treated with reverence and as sacred, knowing that at Boaz's time, the Lord's name was so highly esteemed. What's the first thing we hear out of Boaz's mouth? The Lord be with you. It wasn't, get to work. How much grain do I have? Right? Like his first words, the Lord be with you. And you can tell a lot about a first impression of people, right? When you get the first impression, you can tell a lot about them. But what you can tell more is the response of people. Because you can kind of trick people with the first impression. They're not always accurate. But how people respond, that's usually a good thing in terms of seeing. So how did they respond? The Lord bless you. right? So he esteemed God and he provided this environment where others were free to esteem God too. And 
It wasn't about his harvest. It wasn't about his money or the production, but it was the Lord and this interaction that was going on. The Lord be with you. Not something someone can genuinely, meaningfully, and honestly say unless that someone is actually with the Lord to begin with. I guess you can say it flippantly and you can say it casually and superficially, but that's the trick of the first impression. You can trick somebody, but this is the response. The Lord bless you. Right? And so if the response wasn't the Lord bless you, it would tell you a lot of, about Boaz's character. Because if he said, the Lord be with you, and the guys were like, yeah, I hope so, because he's not with you. You know, like, it would be a lot different. But they responded, the Lord bless you. And these are people who take seriously the usage of the Lord's name. So Boaz was a man who had the presence of God. Now, how many of us are truly content with simply just the Lord's presence? Not seeking His blessings, not seeking His provision, but just simply His presence. And how do you know? Well, how is your relationship with God? Is your spiritual life compartmentalized into reading the Bible or into praying? But how is the presence of God integrated into your life? Is it just checklists? I woke up early in the morning and I read the Bible? Check. Oh, I did my prayers? Check. So I'm good with God. I'm going to go on with my day and I'm going to do my thing and I'm going to work hard at work. Check. And perhaps you head off with the rest of your day, but you're infrequently regarding the presence of God. It's already done. It's kind of like off. And you're thinking, no, 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 Pastor Albert. I I do more than that. I tithe. I I give 10%. And even I give 10% of my gross before taxes. And it is so easy to become legalistic with our giving because it involves numbers. Right? 10% check. I am done. Man. I get to keep 90? That's a good deal. Right? You just check it off. But it's not simply just 10%. Where is the presence of God in your life? Where is the presence of God in your giving? Is there an evidence of generosity? Or is it just like a 10% is not a really generous thing to you? Just 10%, that's, that's easy. Is it sacrificial? Is there an element of stewardship in there? It's not simply just a check off of the checklist to say, oh, 10%, oh, I'm done. The Christian life is not a checklist of moral living, good behavior, ethical standards. The Christian life is living in the presence of God all the time. All the time. Not compartmentalized into a Sunday service or the 15 minutes you use in the beginning of the day to pray or at the end of the day or whenever you place it in there or or when you guys study or whatever limitations you place on your relationship with God. It's throughout your life. Verse 5, Then Boaz said to this young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? So Boaz was a good employer. He knew all the people who worked in his field. So he knew when someone new was in there. So he asked his foreman, who's this? Who's this girl? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. The foreman's answer tells us that the people already knew about Ruth. Right, that she was a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from Moab, and it was known that she was going to be on someone's field picking the grain because she's poor. She's going to be at somebody's place. She's a poor widow. 
And even though it was the law, and she could say it was her right to glean among the sheaves, notice Ruth's humility in verse 7. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. When she didn't even really have to ask. The provision was already there, right? Leviticus and Deuteronomy, she didn't have to ask. But she was humble, she was polite, she was courteous. And we find more about her character continuing on in verse 7. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. Ruth was a hard worker. Disciplined, persistent, responsible. And she wasn't just working to take care of herself. She was also working to provide for Naomi. And this is a person that isn't all talk. This is a person that takes action. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Boaz was concerned for her well-being, and he wanted to protect her. He knew her story, and he was learning about her character, and he knew there was a greater chance of harassment from men in the field if she worked in proximity to them. So he told her to stay in his field and to keep close to the young women who worked in his field. Now, Boaz wasn't being a player here, right? In Oakland, we say playa. He wasn't being a playa. We can tell that by how he addressed Ruth in verse 8. He called her daughter. He didn't call her sweetie or honey pie or whatever. He was being paternal. He wanted to ensure her safety and provision. And he could tell the men of his own field, he could be like, hey, relax. Other person's field, he couldn't tell those workers to do that. But in his, he went, hmm, don't do that. Verse 9, let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. So, you know, young men, they have these things um, called hormones. And uh, they cause them to play. Right? So Boaz didn't want those players to play. And so he wanted them to work. So he's like, you can't touch this. Right? You can't touch this. And he told Ruth, when you're thirsty, just go to where they've drawn the water. So you can concentrate on gleaning. Because fetching water and doing that's not easy. That takes time to go. You focus on getting food. right? Don't, don't worry about doing all that other stuff. The water's there. Go for it. Now, it reminds me of a story of the woman at the well in John chapter 4. And you see how this story, in some ways, parallels the one from Ruth and the one in John chapter 4. Jesus said in John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, Boaz and Jesus have a lot in common, and they should. Because for those of you who don't know, Boaz is Jesus' great times 28 grandfather. They're related. And both sought to provide for outcast women. Both sought to protect the dignity of outcast women. Verse 10, Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Why have I found favor? No sense of entitlement, no sense of rights. She didn't say, you know, whatever. Levitical law says that you have to give me grain, so you can't do anything about it. She was humble. And she started out this journey back in verse 2. Let me go find favor. And when she found favor, she asked in humility, why have I found favor? 
She was a foreigner. Yet she found this favor. And even though she set out to find favor, when she received that grace, when she received that favor, it still drew her to question, why? Because that's what grace does. Grace and gratitude go hand in hand. Grace and humility go hand in hand. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. You cannot earn it. And this is a picture of God. This is a picture of Jesus. We were foreigners, and by His grace, He protects us and He provides for us. He tells us to stick around Him. Drink when you're thirsty. It's all here. And we used to serve other gods, whether that is literally other gods like religions or or money or self-interest or selfishness. But we entered into His presence, and now we serve in His field. We serve in His kingdom. Verse 11, But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Everything that we do will be revealed. Everything that we don't do will be revealed. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for His name in serving the saints as you still do. Now to this last favor and we'll close. Verse 13, Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. The third one, I have found favor. She was a foreigner subject to the abuses of harassment, ridicule, rejection, but found favor from someone who comforted her, who spoke kindly to her, even though she was a stranger. She wasn't one of his servants. Now, isn't this like us? Separated from God, destitute, and not until Jesus showed up, we were given the grace of God like Boaz showing up for Ruth. You see the typology between Jesus and Boaz? Boaz provided safety, provision, and Ruth didn't approach him with a sense of entitlement. She found favor not because she deserved it or that she earned it. She found it because it was graciously given to her. You and I are not entitled to anything before God. What can we possibly earn from God? It is God's grace. It is God's gift that He has given us. Yet how many people approach God with arrogance and with pride, demanding that God do this or demanding that God give them answers to this and all this stuff? How many people approach God with a sense of entitlement? Enter Jesus, our Boaz, who is present with God, who brings us the foreigner, the one separated from God, into the presence of God. So you see the progression of favor. You see the progression of grace in our text this morning. Verse 2, let me go find favor. So this is the effort. This is the choices. To verse 10, why have I found favor? That is met with humility. That is met with gratitude. Thankfulness. And then finally to verse 13, I have found favor. Where because of those things, you have received grace. Therefore, you can live in grace. Favor with God found in Jesus Christ, our Boaz. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. 
Thank you for giving us your favor, your grace. I pray, Lord, that you would soften our hearts and open our minds to receive from you, as there may be people who are looking for it, Lord, who have made an effort, who are making choices to seek your grace. And Father, I pray that they would find it as they don't sit idle. And Lord, when they encounter it, may they be grateful worshipful and praising you because they found it and may the transaction happen where they live in grace in jesus name amen